Sorry, my bad. If you can make your way to your seats and open up your Bibles to Isaiah 52. Unfortunately, if you're new, this is not my voice. Um, Sort of lost it this weekend with various reasons, but started with a sore throat. I think we'll be okay, so... Um, you're going to get a sort of stripped-down version of this message because um, words are going to be few. But we want to be faithful um, to what I believe God has for us as we gather together this morning to worship God, as we gather together to consider Jesus and <clears throat> God's faithfulness in giving us His Son. And so this morning what we're going to do is is we're going to consider why Jesus came. The other thing, this is not in the, uh, the message, but Phil just said we welcomed you to our Christmas celebration. Um, we, we have a couple of these a year. We're going to actually do a, a stripped-down version of this next Sunday as well. And, and if you're visiting this Sunday, you're welcome back next Sunday as we celebrate our Christmas Eve service in the morning. Um, we do things just a little bit different there as well, but as we just continue to, to look at just God's faithfulness to provide uh, his son Jesus for us. So let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning and the opportunity to gather together in a context like this to sing your praises and to just be intentional, intentional in praising you for the way in which you've loved us in giving us your only son, Jesus, having him be born into this world, fully God, fully man, that we might have hope or that we might have a savior, that we might be given faith to believe in him as, Lord, he died on a cross to save us. And Lord, we gather here this morning because of that because of your love for us, and just ask that you would fill us with your spirit, soften our hearts, or that we would receive your word this morning, that you would eliminate distractions, that we might just experience your power in a fresh way, your truth, and that it would just produce its intended effect upon us as a church and individually, that we would would walk away loving Jesus more than we do right now. Lord, we'd walk away with a greater passion um, to honor you in our lives. And Lord, we'd, we'd walk away today with a greater love for one another just as we get to fellowship, um, have some extended fellowship together as well. In Jesus' name, amen. So you, you all probably know this because you experience it. It's a busy time of year, isn't it? Students are trying to finish their semester, trying to uh, break the tape on Christmas break, but to get there, they have to do all their final exams and get everything in so that they can actually enjoy a break. Christmas work parties are being have. Some are being canceled because some people are being sick, but they're at least on the calendar. And so you got to plan those things, and then you got to buy gifts for people at those things, and then you get to enjoy them, but they're added things to our schedules. Christmas traditions are in full effect, and growing up, 
I wasn't a believer, but I grew up where my parents would make me go to church, especially around Christmas time. I didn't understand it, but because of the Lord's grace in my life, I, I love Christmas traditions. I love listening to Christmas music. I love all the added things at this time of year um, brings to our lives. It just, it just feels a little more special than, let's say, February, if you know what I mean. Like, love February, but December, December's probably got something on February. And part of that is we get to celebrate Christmas together. We get to celebrate God giving us his son, Jesus. And with that just comes traditions. And you're planning those things. And you're looking to do those things. And one of those things is happening right here today as we gather as a church. Um, people are probably preparing to visit. Either they're coming to your house or you're going to somebody else's house. And to do that, you probably got to get ready for it. And so again, there's added things to our schedule that just makes life just a little bit more busy this time of year. And uh, if, you've, if you've noticed this as well, it takes a little bit longer to get places, doesn't it? Like it just feels like everybody's out on the road. Everybody's trying to get to Barrett Parkway or somewhere, um, which is kind of fun, you know, but you got to just plan for it. And so life can be really busy and it can feel like it just moves quickly because of that. But what we want to do this morning is we do want to slow down. We want to just sort of stop as much as we can, and just remind one another and be reminded from God's word why we sing these songs that we just sang this morning or why we gather in a context like this and why we do these traditions. And so we want to stop and just intentionally remember why Christ came. Christmas is so much more than just a manger scene. And, and, I, and I love the manger scene. I got one in my, in my yard. I love to, to think about what that first uh, manger looked like. But it's, it's more than just that manger scene, as cute as that is. Christmas is about the Son of God, the one and only God coming to earth, clothing himself in human flesh, taking on our likeness to live a perfect life in our place. And ultimately to die a sacrificial death on a cross as payment for all of our sins so that we might have this hope of being forgiven. That we might have this hope of eternal life living beyond this world that Phil was describing this morning in the call to worship. And so we want to slow down and think about that. And so we're here today because God loves us. And because of his love for us, he gave us his only son, Jesus Christ, to be our Savior. So to help us remember why Jesus came into this world and kind of answer that question, we're going to take a look at Isaiah 52, verses, thir or, yeah, 52, verses 13 through all of chapter 53. And so this section of Scripture um, is a prophetic song. It's kind of broken up into, into five parts. And, and in this prophetic song, what it does is it helps us see who Christ is. And so we're going to slow down and we're going to look at these five parts together and just, and just intentionally take a look at who God tells us that Jesus is. And the hope here is that, that this, as we intentionally do it, would just fill our hearts with gratefulness that we do have a God that loves us. We have a great Savior in Jesus who, 
who did come into our world, was born, grew into a man, and ultimately died for us. And so we're going to get five points. And our first point, we learn that Jesus appeared repulsive. Jesus appeared repulsive. Verse 13 says this, Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. So what Isaiah is doing is he's sort of commanding the people of God to kind of look. When he says, behold, he wants us to watch, pay attention for the servant of the Lord, he says, will act wisely according to the Lord's plan of redemption and faithfully bring it to completion. When the mission is completed, the servant is going to be raised high and lifted up. He's going to be exalted above all for all to see. Isaiah is prophesying that something great and amazing is going to happen that will kind of shape mankind forever. Now, one would expect to hear an amazing story about a brave and mighty king that was recognized in all the earth for his great power, for his fame, for his wisdom, but that's not how God planned this story of redemption to be. The story of redemption ends with Jesus high and lifted up and exalted above all, but this is not how he entered the world and spent his life here on earth. Verse 14 takes us down a different path as it describes the servant's lack of beauty for us. And the servant's Jesus. Verse 14, it says, As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance that his form and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. Many, if not all, were shocked at the appearance of Jesus Christ. Not because he was so handsome and attractive, but because of the beating that he took at the hands of the soldiers prior to the cross that so disfigured him that it was hard to look at him. His face was so beaten, so bruised, so cut up from repeated punches and thorns driven into his scalp that, that he didn't even look human anymore. He was so beyond human semblance, meaning he kind of resembled a man, but his face was so disfigured it didn't. J. Alec Matoyer said the following. He said, the servant's sufferings brought such a disfigurement that those who saw said not, is this he? But instead, is he human? Or is this human? So we're left only to kind of imagine how repulsive Christ's appearance was as he suffered such a great beating. But we must remember that this is the path that God had chosen for his son, servant, Jesus Christ, to walk out so that many would be redeemed, that we would be redeemed. See, the servant that was born in that manger had to suffer a horrible death like this to save God's people, like me and you, from such a horrible death ourselves. This is Isaiah's message here, as surprising as it is. Verse 15 says, so shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them, they see. 
and that which they have not heard, they understand. Jesus came into our world to suffer this horrible death, to open the eyes of many and give them understanding so that many people from many nations would be saved. In our next point, we learn that not only was he repulsive in appearance, but that he was also despised. Isaiah asked two questions. This is Isaiah 53, verse 1. He said, Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Now, these questions reveal the world's unbelief. For the answer to the question is not many. Not many people believed in the suffering servant. John records for us in his gospel that Jesus, having lived among the people, teaching with great authority, performing many amazing miracles, and proclaiming the good news of the gospel, wasn't just widely accepted, but instead, as he lived, as he grew up into a man, and he lived, and he did all these amazing things, not many people actually acknowledged him. John says this, this is John chapter 12, verse 37. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. So that the words spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Not many. Not many believed that Jesus was who he said he was. Instead, John goes on to tell us that they feared man more than they feared God, for they loved the glory that comes from men more than they loved the glory that comes from God. And so basically what he's saying is, is Jesus walked among them and the world saw him and nobody believed. Instead, they loved themselves and they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. Instead of trusting in and worshiping Jesus, they despised him. This is that baby that we celebrate at Christmas time, born into this world. He came and he lived among us and he was rejected. Verse, 50, or verse 2 goes on to say this, for he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised. And rejected by men. A man of sorrows. And acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised. And we esteemed him not. Now before we look down upon them for despising Jesus. Isaiah reminds us that, that, that we're kind of included in this prophecy. Like, meaning if, if we had lived at that time. We too would have esteemed him not. It's not like we're lining up to worship him like we are today. How many of you have ever been a part of a a sports team where you kind of got to line everybody up? You know what I'm talking about? You got to pick. Okay, teachers probably do this. Remember back to grade school when, when it's time to pick teams for kickball or whatever it is, and everybody just lines up. You pick two captains, and then what do you do? Somebody gets first pick, and then somebody gets the next pick, and then you just keep going. And so basically what Isaiah is trying to tell us here, here's how the world thought about Jesus. is as, as if you lined everybody up, and you picked your team, and if you were one of those captains, and you got to pick your team, he's saying, none of us are choosing him. 
Meaning, we're, we're leaving him to be the last guy. And then we're just kind of hoping, you know, that last guy, and it comes down to it, and you start counting in your head, and it's like, okay, I got this pick. They're going to take that person. They're going to take that person. You're kind of just hoping that that last guy doesn't land to be on your team, right? I'm, I'm trusting that we got some athletes in here, and you've played this game before, or at least... I'm trusting that you got outside of your house once in a while and you played with the neighbors and you had to count off. And so what Isaiah is trying to say, this is Jesus. This is, this is the baby in the manger that grows up. And if you had to pick your team, you're not picking him. You're despising him. You're not esteeming him as somebody great. There was nothing attractive about his appearance or his background from a worldly perspective that would compel anyone to choose him to be on their team. What we do is we, we just leave him for that last pick. If you just think about it, he didn't have this noble birth, basically kind of born in a barn, wasn't a king. He was a son of a carpenter, kind of a blue-collar guy. Wasn't rich. His mom wasn't really anything special. Now, we know she's special. The world didn't see her as being special. She was kind of looked down upon at the time. He didn't look special. He had no form of majesty that we should look on him and just say, wow, wasn't going to be a social influencer. Wasn't out there creating a lot of followers at the time. People were trying to stay away from him. In many ways, he was undesirable and forgettable in appearance. So make no mistake, he would have been the last pick, if picked at all. And the reality is that apart from God opening our eyes to see his majesty and to see his beauty and to see his worth, none of us would ever respond to him with faith and trust that he indeed is our suffering servant. But Isaiah is trying to say, and he's trying to help us see, the fact that any of us believes in Jesus, trusts in Jesus, looks to Jesus, wants to worship Jesus, and grateful for what Jesus has done, is it's all by God's grace. Opening our eyes. Giving us faith to believe. In the next part, we learn that Jesus was crushed for our iniquities. Verse 4, he says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. So why did Jesus come into the world? Why are we celebrating Christmas? Isaiah tells us that though we esteemed him not, that Christ came into the world to reconcile us to a holy God, to be crushed, to be killed for our iniquities, for our sins, so that we might have peace with God. And this is worth celebrating, isn't it? God is just not, he doesn't just simply overlook sin. He's a holy God. And all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so what hope do we have to be forgiven by a holy God? Well, our hope is rooted and grounded in this suffering servant, in our Savior, Jesus Christ, who was pierced for our transgressions. 
who was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that, that's brought us peace. And so when we celebrate Christmas, we're celebrating God's love and sending his son Jesus into this world to live in our place and ultimately to die on a cross for all of our sins, taking the penalty that we so richly deserve upon himself, exhausting the wrath of God so that we might be forgiven. And so that wrath would no longer exist, but instead we would, we would experience peace. And that's good news. We would have a, a real relationship with, with God through faith in Jesus. This is the reason Jesus came to earth, to suffer in our place on a cross for our sins. Verse 6 says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He says, we're all like sheep who've just sort of gone astray. Now, sheep aren't the brightest of animals. They're not the most intimidating of animals. They kind of need to be watched. They kind of need to be led. They kind of need to be taken care of. They're the, they're the ones that you go to and you see at the the petting zoo, and even then they're not the ones that you really want to go see, right? But the Lord describes us as being like these sheep, these sheep who have gone astray. God says we're all like sheep who've wandered away from God's care and protection, meaning we've all sinned. We all chose to do what we think is best for us and wandered off into doing whatever it is we want to do and ultimately into harm's way. All of us have sinned and turned away from God, past, present, future. But the good news here, this is what Isaiah is proclaiming to us as he's helping us understand, why did Jesus come? The good news is that God's response to our sin was not to just slaughter the sheep. Instead, he came after the sheep. Just think about that. What does our sins deserve? They deserve God's wrath. They deserve his punishment. But instead of slaughtering the sheep, God chose to crush his son. In love, God chose to send Jesus after us to save us. And we always, people wrestle with this, and I get it. Why, why, would, why would God do something like that for me or for you? And we say, because God is love. He's holy, he's lots of things, but, but his word teaches us that he's, he's love. And in this love, he chose to send his only son to save us. And this is good news. This leads us to our fourth point. Jesus humbly accepted death in our place. So Jesus came to earth to serve both God and man, and he never turned away from serving. Verse 7 says, he was oppressed. And he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. See, a lamb and a sheep have no idea what is about to happen to them before they're killed. However, what we see here, and we know from other places in scriptures, Jesus knew exactly what he was doing knew exactly what he was doing. From the moment he was born to breathing his last breath, God had given him a mission. 
It called him to come into this world and to ultimately serve people by dying for them. And he was committed to laying down his life for us. And he never turned away from it. 1 Peter 2.21 says this, For to this you've been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Think about this truth. Jesus, under trial, being accused of things he didn't do, never opened his mouth never defended himself, never tried to get off on a technicality. When he was beaten, whipped so hard that the skin off his back was basically hanging and falling off. When he was nailed to the cross, he didn't try to run. As he was lifted up on the cross, fighting for his last breath, being mocked, never cried out for this release. When people mocked him, he responded with compassion and mercy. He never turned away from the cross. Instead, he humbly accepted it all on our behalf, entrusting himself to God the Father. So often, this is not the case for us, is it? Think about your own life. Think about the last time you found yourself in a conflict with somebody. Or think about the last time somebody did you wrong, so to speak, said something bad about you and you didn't like it. What was your response to it? You know, for me, sometimes in those situations, there's, there's this temptation to, you want to fight back. You want to prove the world that, that you're right. If anybody had the right to prove that they were right, it would be Jesus. He was perfect. Perfect. Just think about that. Never sinned. Never deserving of God's wrath at all. Yet, the whole purpose in him coming was to exhaust the wrath of God, to be crushed for all of our sins. And Peter tells us he's an example for us to follow. Do we trust him? When you hear that, when you hear about Christ dying for you, intentionally going to the cross, not seeking to get away from it, what does that do in your hearts? What does it cause you to think about or feel? I think one of the applications of this is it should produce in us this gratefulness. Gratefulness that we do have a God who loves us. And the proof is he sent his son. And we gather to worship him at this time of year specifically. The fact that he came into our world. But the reason he came is he came to die. He came to die to save us. In our final point, we learn this, that Jesus was victorious. 
Verse 10 says, yet it was the will of God to crush him. He was put, he has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. And so what we see here is it was the Lord's will to send Jesus into the world to be crushed on the cross as our guilt offering for our sins. And Jesus fulfilled this prophecy. His death on the cross was, was not a defeat by any means. Jesus came into the world and perfectly served the Lord, accomplishing all that he was sent to do all the way to the very end where he breathed his last breath and died. Jesus wasn't defeated on the cross. He was victorious. He defeated sin and death so that people like you and me would be justified, meaning that we would be forgiven, declared righteous, before a holy God in Christ's victory on the cross that has saved us and brought us into this right relationship with God. Verse 12 says this, Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. All that we have in this life is because of Christ and his victory on the cross. His victory and all that he has earned through his perfect life and sacrificial death has been given to us. And this is grace, my friends. His reward for his victory on the cross has been given to everyone who believes in him. We don't deserve this. This is what makes grace so amazing. God's undeserved favor towards us. Christ takes our punishment. We receive his reward. That's why he came. He came to save us. He came to die on a cross for us, to rescue us from God's wrath, to free us from the power of sin to give us hope of eternal life, a life beyond this life. This is why we celebrate Christmas. This is why it's so special. It's not just that Jesus was born into this world, but he was born into this world and he lived a perfect life and he died a sacrificial death to save us and he's reigning and ruling in heaven and one day he's going to come and get us. And so this is why we celebrate Christmas. If I can have the band join me, please. We're going to close out our time. If you don't mind, would you please stand? We're going to close out our time by singing one more song together.